Hey, hey, Jer. Yeah. What day is it? It is uh, October 13, 2023. You, you know what that day is, right? It's Friday the 13th. Dang it. Yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you, you know what else it is, too? Um, I believe it is a very important day in the history of the universe. It, it is indeed. It is indeed. I can't think of what it is yet, though. It is, it is the day uh, many, uh, many, many years ago when bursting forth into this world came a presence, a being, a human that would change my life forever. A presence that you've not felt for a long time. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. No. All right, fine. It is my birthday. Happy birthday, happy birthday. I'm 27 years old. <coughs> oh, sorry. Oh, 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 something something sorry. caught in my throat. It's just, I okay. don't know what that so, happened. Oh, it's still, you know, still lodged in there. I, I, I have, um, I've been exploring TikTok more. Okay. So I, I've. Found all kinds of How really very cool... millennial of you. I know, right? <laughs> I'm not a millennial. Actually, Gen Zer, I guess now. Right. We're yeah. even 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 yeah. beyond millennial now. Yeah. The millennials are getting old. Okay, go ahead. I don't know quite how to describe it other than just this is very dad thing. They had billiard ball racing on a treadmill on TikTok. It was a live thing where so they would take a bunch of billiard balls toss them onto a treadmill and the treadmill's going like crazy. And so these these billiard balls are spinning and they're all jockeying for position and and then the the guy that's that's running it would take solo cups and drop them onto the the treadmill to try and knock them off and they would go through and 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 whichever the last billiard ball <laughs> on the treadmill. <laughs> and I will wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. 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 How do these billiard balls stay on the treadmill? Uh, law of conservation of energy. Okay, m- m- they, momentum. The law of momentum. So as the treadmill's spinning, uh-huh. the ball is spinning in the opposite direction, okay? Uh-huh. And so the, the momentum of the ball spinning in the opposite direction is enough to counteract the majority of the treadmill's uh, actual spinning, too. So I need to see this. I, I will confess that I spent at least a good 20 minutes... Twenty minutes of your life you will never get back. And I the the crazy thing is I would do it again. I and and it was it was what what exactly does this have to do with your birthday? Nothing at all, but I I just wanted to tell you about this amazing thing that I had seen Uh on TikTok. And next time next time I see it come up, I I will send you a share because it is mind blowingly Dumb, uh-huh. okay. All right. yeah. All right. <laughs> but still absolutely amazing what? in its own right. I I highly recommend. Watchable, it sounds like it. It is, and in fact, okay. my daughter even got involved with it. And, and when my wife tried to to ask me to do something, how did we? End? Yeah. Uh, okay, dear. Yeah, in a minute. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, go green stripe, go green stripe. Oh man, go red one, go red one. You can do this. You can. Oh. Now, does the game end if the if 
if the eight ball comes off the treadmill before no, the others? No, but funny <laughs> enough, they, the eight ball won the fourth round. So, <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right. Uh, representing, it's representing. Yeah, representing there, and it, it's it was just amazing. So, <laughs> all right, all right. There are two guys in a franchise. Cue the music, Jer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our third episode of Two Guys in a Franchise, where we talk about dirty franchises and then subject you guys to them <laughs> in our conversations. Uh, this being our third episode, as Jer explained in the last one, the episode names are rather long. Now, I, I don't recall. Remember all of the matrix that Jerry used to describe our episodes. So, Jerry, what episode is this? TGF number 004, Star Trek The Next Generation, Origin Stories, and S3E1, which refers to Season 3, Episode 1 of said franchise. Thank you, computer. <laughs> Acknowledged. <laughs> so, this is also... An origin story. Now, we don't refer to the origin of a particular franchise, but more of our origins in, uh, in relation to the franchise. So, uh, like we discuss what it means to us, how we got into it, where it came from, where we're going with it in our lives. I will talk a lot, and you'll hear in the future, uh, about how these things, when I was little relates so much to to now me uh in the last episode jerry asked me what what i like to veg out when i'm looking for something to just you know calm and relax me and and a lot of these things refer to things that when i was little that i would watch with my dad and star trek the next generation is just that i remember sitting there on the couch with him and he is Excited. Giddy is a schoolboy because he grew up with the original Star Trek, arguably as, as an adult when it came out. Uh, but he had always loved sci-fi. And he did his best to try and get his kids into it. And I was the only one that really actually watched it with him. But I remember sitting there and he is so excited because... There is finally a new Star Trek series coming out. And, and so that Sunday night, we turn on the TV and Star Trek The Next Generation started up. And I will tell you, as a boy, it was absolutely mind-blowing. I, I couldn't fathom everything that was going on because it was just so new and fresh and technological it was dark and bright at the same time so it was dark and the, the ship you know and and the, the places that the ship would go but inside the ship it was bright it it you know the well lit it was very modern and futuristic in the way it looked and uh the the outfits though were 
very, very 80s. <laughs> but, but it was just is one of those things that that honestly I think it really sparked my love of nerdy things. Uh even though as as I got older my parents uh would not let me get into the nerdy things like the comic books and and even pushed me away from sci-fi a lot because it was not up to their religious dogma or whatever. I'm not going to get into all of that, but it never really died in me. So I I I loved watching Star Trek The Next Generation because there were people in there that I could relate to as far as personality, uh, as, as far as their ideals and what they wanted to see. Uh, you were just and, like Wesley is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a lot like Wesley, surprisingly. The other thing that it did to me is that it, it showed me what, what the modern world could grow into it was it was very much a story of hope when at the time in the news all you heard about was horrible things going on the rising crime you know the economies in the tank and all this other stuff and here was this this message of this is what humanity can be this is the hope for the future so that's that's really where star trek really really got its hold so, um, so this is the second episode in a row that you've mentioned that some of this stuff is meaningful to you because you remember watching it with your dad. So you mm-hmm. got, so you watched Next Gen when it was like originally airing. So like you yes. have to wait yeah. one week and then the next. Mm-hmm. so a uh, little explainer for those of you younger people who might be in the audience. There was a time when you could only <laughs> watch TV when they broadcast oh. it over the airwaves. Uh, or through the cable to your television at certain times. There was none of this on-demand watch what you want, when you want stuff. No, no, no. We grew up, us Gen Xers, proud Gen Xers, we were talking about that in the (laughs) chit-chat at the beginning. Uh, We grew up at a time when if you were not in front of your TV at this time on this day to watch something, you missed it. And if you missed it, you missed it. There was no there was no, no going back. There was no seeing it. If you missed it, the best you could do was hope that a buddy of yours had seen it and could do an amazing recap and reenactment <laughs> for or, you on the playground or something. Or or at the time VHS was very very expensive, but we you would you would record episodes and then you'd watch them and then record over it with the next episode, you know, and that's the, the, the flashing 12 on the VCR and all that uh-huh, other stuff. Uh-huh. But there was no such thing as binge watching except for when they would have a marathon and you would plan your entire weekend around these marathons. You would have all your <laughs> snacks ready. You would have your drinks ready. And woe be to anyone who touched the controller, the, uh-huh. the, the remote uh-huh. or the knob on your TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you. So, yes. so, so to go back, so you and your dad watching it appointment TV style, yes. making sure you were in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did what was what was that like for the for the two of you? Because it seems to me like this time spent with your dad mm-hmm. was a really important part of your relationship with your dad. Yeah, tell me more about that. Was your dad a, a nerd? Did he? Yeah, oh yeah, my my dad my dad was. There, there were certain things that he would watch that I, I had a difficult time getting into. I, you know, he watched Doctor Who almost religiously, you know, Saturday at, 
at 11 uh, 30 a.m on pbs uh-huh. he would watch that but i i just couldn't get into it uh-huh. you know and and also at that age i was frustrated that he took away the time from saturday morning <laughs> cartoons <laughs> of course but, of course but later on in the day we would we would watch you know like the the new yankee workshop old uh you know all those cooking shows and everything but he had a collection of sci-fi books that uh i mean shelves of them talking like Isaac like Asimov Isaac Robert Asimov Heinlein, yeah, yeah. Kind of so thing. so he had um he had one that i i don't remember who the author was, but I know the name of the book. It was called Green Hills of Earth. Uh, and it was uh, apparently a first edition that he had that was a very rare copy, and he wound up having to sell that. Those, those memories are ones, they're some of my favorite memories of him. What and, did he do for a living? Uh, so <laughs> my dad did uh, a lot of things. When I was very little, he was a volunteer. EMT. And oh, cool. so so he didn't really work uh except for as the volunteer there. And then he also was a professional mover. So he would go and pack people's houses, load it up in a truck, take that somewhere. That is such it. hard work. Yeah. That's uh, physical labor right it is, there. It is it is very hard work. So um, the nerdiness side of him was was really his his personal life. Yes. As opposed to it. There was no yes. there was it wasn't like he was an, engineer by day no, and then like enjoyed no. the sci-fi yeah, I, ex, ex, extrapolation of possible futures of that in the evening it was like no his nerdiness was all about his personal life and was yeah. and and was about sharing and and he got to share so, that with you family connection there yeah that you know because i i think of myself and my children uh you know in many mm-hmm. ways myself and my son and yes. myself and and a, and a couple of my girls too we we watch certain shows together, yeah and, yeah. and I have no doubt that those kind of things are important memories for them in terms of just connectedness as family. And so yeah. the the it sounds mm-hmm. to me like a lot of the birth of your fandom, your nerdiness, came from your relationship with your dad and with family. I mean, last time we talked about Star Wars, and you talk about remembering going to the theater with mm. your family, and yeah. so I, I think that's really. That's really cool, and I think there is something about the whole nerdy, geeky fandom that is very family, that, that lends itself to family connection, that lends itself to, to family building and, and sharing these experiences because, um, because as, you, as you said, your dad didn't have a lot of friends to share this with. Yeah. A lot yeah. of nerds and geeks pre-internet era because, you know, are old men who lived before <laughs> the interconnected time. Uh, you know, there was no internet. And so it was much harder to yeah. find fellow oh, yeah. fans and people who enjoyed the same kind of stuff. And so uh, and so having that connection within your family just made a lot of sense. And, and that, that carries on today, actually, with, with my, my oldest. He, uh, he actually is... is pushed me hard into watching uh, um, the uh, the new Lost in Space. And he started watching that on his own. But I think a lot of that also came from him seeing uh, seeing me watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And that there was actually one other little thing that I want to get into. Uh, my father-in-law 
uh, I, and I found this out, uh, unfortunately, towards the end of his time with us, that he was a huge Star Trek and Star Wars nerd. But he was also the popular kid in school. He was, he was the good-looking, very charismatic one, but he had this very nerdy side to him. And so... So was it secret nerdiness? Yeah, yeah. And, and some of my favorite memories with him were also watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And we would sit and watch it together for, for hours. Um, and this, this was when he was very sick, too. But from what I've been told, it was something that was really, really powerful for him, too. So Star Trek The Next Generation especially, but Star Trek in general, has been kind of a, a, a very big pillar in my life. That uh, I don't think that there is anything quite analogous to it in my life otherwise. Mm. Mm. So, well, thank you for sharing. Thank yeah, you for sharing that. Yeah. With us. I, I think it's beautiful the way that it, it connects people. The fact that I think one of the reasons why there are Star Trek conventions and Star Wars and sci fi conventions and Doctor Who conventions and monster comic book, uh, you know, comic book conventions is because of that, uh, that connectedness through story, yeah. through storytelling, through generations, through family. There is that connectedness that, uh, that lends itself and why, why you, there aren't uh, the same kind of convention, gathering, fan event kind of uh, phenomena with, with other forms of media. Yeah. Yeah. On to segment three, the Wheel of Random Episode Selection Discussion. Uh, so if you remember from our last episode, it the 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 fates foretold for us that we shall discuss season three, episode one, evolution. This episode aired 925 of 1989. It was the 49th episode in the series. Uh, we know that uh, it was directed by Winrich uh, Colby, a story by Michael Piller and Michael Wagner. Tell, tell a play by Michael Piller. We had some guest stars in there. Ken Jenkins as Dr. Paul Stubbs. Whoopi Goldberg in her reprisal role as Guinan. This, uh, this is also noteworthy. Season 3 saw the return of Dr. Beverly Crusher as the doctor coming back from her, uh, her little stint at Starfleet Medical. Well, and, let's, let's, let's give okay. her credit. She's not just the doctor. She is the chief medical officer chief of medical the officer. Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation. The, the heartthrob of so many people who... <laughs> We're not into Deanna Troy. <laughs> <laughs> so we said goodbye to uh, Dr. Pulaski, uh, who, who showed up in the second season and then has gone away mysteriously in the third season. There is some other notable things about, uh, about this episode and this season is uniforms actually changed. They got, uh, they got some complaints about the uh, unitard style and then went to the, the traditional wool uh, jacket and, and slacks, uh, which uh, 
In my opinion, actually, I think they look better. There's something, there's something pretty awesome about when Captain Picard stands up and tugs on the front of his jacket in a very, very, uh, you know, uh, officious. officious, officious manner. Yes. Now, to to do a, a quick synopsis of the show. There is a, a star system, the Cabus star, uh, star binary system, and they're analyzing the decay of neutronium with this Dr. Paul Stubbs. This happens only every once every 196 years. They plan to launch this probe, this special probe that was designed by Dr. Stubbs, uh, nicknamed the Egg. Well, in the midst of this, the ship starts malfunctioning. Things go crazy, uh, and they trace it to the computer core, even though the computer says everything's cool. We, we come to find out that Wesley was doing some experiments with nanites, and, and after falling asleep at his desk, accidentally let two of them loose, but they were programmed to work together, unlike the, the original design of the nanites, which were to work individually on, uh, on their own little thing. They start uh, reproducing, and then start eating the computer core. Finally, Wesley comes clean, uh, with what's going on, and they figured out that these nanites are evolving, hence the name of the episode, Evolution. Then in this discussion about them uh, evolving, they, they, the discussion of whether or not they are sentient, whether or not they're intelligent, uh, it, it comes into play. But Dr. Stubbs gets pretty doggone upset at this because this is all interfering with his work. Captain Picard decides to, to try and isolate them, have them isolate these, these nanites instead of eradicating them from the ship uh, because the possibility that they may be sentient. Well, again, this further angers Dr. Stubbs. And uh, he decides that he's going to go and take matters into his own hands, and he fires a gamma uh, radiation beam into a computer core, killing a bunch of the nanites. The... the Undesired consequence of this is that the nanites strike back and cause the computer to flood the bridge with nitrous oxide at to toxic levels, and also cause the the uh, electronics in Doctor Stubbs' quarters, who has since been confined to quarters because of his aggression towards these nanites. They start trying to do the the uh, Emperor Dooku, you know, lightning bolts at him and 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 nearly killing him. But in all of this. They're still trying to figure out what's going on with these. So they, they set Commander Data to uh, try and communicate with them using the ship's translation systems. Just at the point of where they were about to uh, go nuclear and destroy all of the nanites on the ship, Data manages to make contact. Using Data as an interface, they then uh, have a discussion with these nanites who have become fully sentient. And they agree to a truce. Dr. Stubbs is able to pull off his experiment without anybody getting killed. And the nanites get, uh, are, they wind up being given their own planet, essentially, which was um, uh, uh, Cavus Alpha 4. And uh, so the stars go boom like they want. Everybody's happy. And the ship is fixed with the help of the nanites. And that, that is the episode right there. Jared. Yes. You rewatched this. Yes, I did. I rewatched this. What do you yes. think? Oh, my rewatch reaction is, uh, you know, it was really interesting because you mentioned in our info facts that being episode one of season three, 
this episode saw some some important transitions, some mm. important changes. You know, the new episode, the new uniforms, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also uh, an off-screen promotion for Worf and LaForge because oh, in yes. season yeah. one and two, uh, both Jordy LaForge, the visor guy. And uh, Mr. Worf, the visor only God. Klingon. <laughs> well, that's the name of it. It's called the Visor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mr. Worf, the only Klingon in Starfleet, uh, were basically, uh, were they ensigns in the first? I think they might have been ensigns. Or maybe yeah, Lieutenant look, Junior Grade. Yeah. yeah. Like new yeah, ju- baby, Lu- baby yeah, Lieutenant. Yeah, Lieutenant JG, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the first two seasons. And so they kind of hung around the bridge but they didn't necessarily have specific assignments. And in this episode, they are now in the assignments that will basically carry them for the rest of the TV show, mm. which is Jordy is like chief engineer down in engineering and Worf is head of security on the bridge for security. And I was, I was reflecting on the episode as I watched it, being a giant next gen fan myself, who's seen all the episodes and, and, and remember the, the whole series, I noted that in this episode, the the phrase that came to me was, all the pieces are in place, but they don't know quite how to use them yet. Insofar as like things Mm. like, like I was always amused by, like for instance, Worf and and LaForge, right? LaForge spends the episode basically just staring at consoles, saying, I don't understand this. And uh, Worf spends the whole episode growling about security concerns. You know, like, <laughs> but Captain, if he does this, then that's, this is why it's unsafe. We, we, we must strike back. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, so still a little stereotypical to my mind and a little uh, flat, yeah. but the pieces are in place and they're about ready to go. The things that clearly, this episode clearly exemplifies uh, the two elements of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation that weave through all of it is uh, Picard, mm-hmm. uh, his leadership, his priorities, his desire, his, his uh, continued quest for diplomatic solutions, as well as recognizing the value of scientific discovery. And, you know, um, you know, as it says, the Enterprise's mission is to uh, uh, seek out new life. And so they have found new life. And so Picard wants to protect that new life. And uh, as well as data, obviously data uh, was a, a cornerstone component to the next gen and data's unique origins and capabilities being an Android uh, are very front and center in this episode because of his ability to interface with the nanites, his ability to, uh, to adapt to the universal translator so as to attempt communication and, uh, and that sort of thing. So that was that was kind of one of my first reactions to it, just mm. sort of uh, overall. Yeah. Um, what what did you think? So a couple of things uh, that that struck me about this episode, and this is this is coming from the the place of experience that I have now, and and especially having uh, neurodiverse children, mm. it it struck me that Doctor Stubbs was very neurodiverse. If you look at the way he behaves, he behaves like someone who is autistic or on that spectrum. His obsession almost down to the tiniest detail about baseball. And that was, I, I, you know, 
as as someone who would be younger watching this, that would have been a detail that would have been completely lost on me. And even a lot of people in in the late 80s when this aired, as they would not have understood what that person was about. They just thought would have thought he was weird. <laughs> and maybe that's the angle they were going for or wasn't. I don't know. But as someone in 2023, I see that as very, very, you know, neurodiverse very typical behavior for that. That is really interesting because as you talk about it, you know, it struck me as uh, I did not see that initially. Yeah. You know, for me, it was sort of like, oh, this is, they bring in the baseball thing as kind of a demonstration of his eccentric genius. You know what I mean? That right, was, right, that right. was kind of the, the way that I read it. But as you say it, it makes total sense because as I'm thinking about it, I had an aunt. My mom's sister mm -hmm. uh, was was born with cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. Not not the same thing as not at all the same thing as as the autism spectrum. But uh, but she did have you know neurocognitive challenges throughout her life. And one of the things that she did with her father was collect uh, baseball statistics. And okay. so she would maintain okay. boxes of index cards in which mm -hmm. she would write down kind of the, the box stats from baseball games. And she would talk to us about what was going on that season and everything else. And so I completely see the connection that you're making between mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Stubbs talking about the statistics and, and they go out of their way in the episode they for do. him to say, you know, cause Wesley's like, Oh yeah. So do you, do you go in the holodeck to watch baseball? And he's like, no, no, not, not, not that. I go into my mind and my imagination, yes, yes. and I use the statistics. And he talks, and I think he actually uses the phrase "box stats" yes. in uh, and, and in the episode. So what what led me from just you know, oh, he uses this as as a demonstration of his his obsessive nature as far as being a, an eccentric genius to this is very neurodivergent. The scene where he's about to be attacked by the nanites, okay? He is very frustrated because he's confined to quarters. But he's laying there, and the only way that he can occupy his mind from the arguably unbelievable stress that he's under, realizing that his experiment that can only be done every 196 years is about to fail miserably and possibly ending the life of everyone on the ship is that he escapes into his mind with those statistics. Although I would say he, that the lives of the people on the ship are were, clearly his second right, priority to his lifelong work. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So he's. Uh, that's also one other thing that just shows the, the neurodivergency of yeah, it, the, his that. autism, is that that those things are secondary. The, the, the life, the comfort of, of everyone on the ship is secondary to this obsession that he has. Absolutely. So... Uh, but I didn't really want to focus as much as I did on it, although it was, it, I think it was something that that really shows the way that Star Trek brought life that was kind of hidden out into a common, uh, you know, something that you can easily see. Yeah. Um, because that kind of that kind of behavior in general was not not a part of media mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all knew that those people were out there, but we just thought they were uh, weird, obsessive, uh, eccentric people. But Star Trek 
actually took that and made it a cornerstone of the episode. Yeah. And and I thought that was actually really really interesting. And very common a very common Star Trek theme, the idea yes. of representation, the idea of uh the idea that folks of all different stripes should have their mo- should be respected, have their moment on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean from the original series with the various ethnicities to now next gen including a Klingon on the bridge crew and uh, you know, and data, and there's so much. Uh, you know, and in the in the series in general, there's there there uh multiple instances where data must defend his own personhood. Uh, you know, from all of that. So it's very Star Trek. Yeah. To to oh, yeah. be like to be like no, the, he, there are people like this, and they uh you know, and they are they are good, and they function, and you know, and and as you talk about it, it, it does. Uh, I I reflect back or I remember when after the nanites begin to communicate, then uh, Dr. Stubbs is given the opportunity to communicate with them. And he does, at that point, he then apologizes, makes a commitment to make amends because he's totally, he gets on board with the idea of saving them once he starts to talk to them. And uh, that also strikes me as, uh, you know, as as good it's sort of like that it would have been easy to paint him as a completely disconnected weirdo who doesn't give a darn about the nanites at all but they don't they show him more well-rounded than that and i think and i think uh the actor um what's his name the the guest star uh, ken jenkins ken jenkins yes. i think he does a great job in the portrayal of sort of like um presenting a character that is on that is that is on that knife's edge between an obsession that outweighs all morality and yeah. and recognizing that even in the face of the possibility of the failure of mm-hmm. his life's work there is something here that deserves recognition and apology and that sort of thing. Uh, another real quick thing uh, that I noticed in rewatching this is that they they showed a lot of growth in the crew and B, especially Picard, in being able to recognize at, at very very early stages that this is not just a uh, a colony of uh, you know little microcomputers doing what they're programmed to do, but that they are actually um, a a new sentient being that is deserving of those rights even though they're so tiny that you can't see them that they are something deserving of rights and that, well, that, I think is, that also brings up something that made me laugh when watching it mm-hmm. which is which is an entirely new species is created from a kid science project which <laughs> picard's picard references the the apparent you know weirdness or absurdity of that but notice no one on the ship seems at all phased or put out or or uh needing a moment to consider the idea that uh they have birthed a new species into a, a whole new kind of life they all just sort of take it in stride like oh it's another tuesday yes another tuesday you know, on the starship enterprise new, you know. new life form was just born in our computer eating our computer core uh, and, and, so how do we deal with this let's 
let's not pause and wonder at that. Let's just let's just deal with it now. And, so what are we gonna do? You know, I'm sure that there's somebody over in the science deck that's just like another one. <laughs> Come on, man! This is the third one this month. <laughs> but it, it really did. It really did remind me of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, which is another series. It's an it's a current currently running animated Star Trek show mm-hmm. that is very much an homage to the next generation because oh, it yes. is set in the timeline just after next generation. So the uniforms are slightly different, but like even down to the font that they use for the title cards and the credits in lower decks is the same font as next generation, because in many ways the show was created to be an homage and a love letter to the next generation because then in that show Lower Decks, they have many references to the characters from Next Generation and the the stuff that happened to folks in Next Generation. (laughs) And one of the running gags on the show Lower Decks is that on a Starfleet starship, whacked out crazy, insane sci-fi type things (laughs) happen all the time and nobody gets freaked out by it. You know, like, like, uh, and, and, and they've even made comment on the lower decks about this, about how, like, how, like, well, you know, it's, uh, wait till next week when the next crazy thing happens, you know, or, (laughs) or just wait a couple of days and somebody will die. Or like, actually in the very latest episode of lower decks. So spoiler alert for a little piece of this. So if you don't want, if you want to go in pure, skip ahead 30 seconds. All right. In the very latest episode of Lower Decks, the character named Boimler, uh, who's recently been promoted to Lieutenant JG, is put in charge of his first mission, and in that mission, he ends up dying. And then the doctor brings him back. And there's a bit, there's a joke where the doctor's where where he dies again, and the doctor's like, whatever we just gave him, give it to him again, whatever worked. You know? <laughs> but the commander of the Cerritos, the USS Cerritos, the show, the, the, the ship for Lower Decks, the, the commander comes up and says, well, congratulations, Boimler, you've been resurrected. Nobody forgets their first death as a Starfleet <laughs> officer. And you're just making a joke out of the oh, fact that, that wild and crazy things happen all the time. And everybody just sort of takes it in stride. And I was like, I was like, this is a, a, a microscopic life form birthed in, uh, you know, birthed from a teenager science experiment. And everybody's just sort of like, all right, well, what do we do with it? How do we deal with it? Obviously, we're not going to kill it. So let's just uh, try and communicate. And uh, Okay, so then they need a planet. <laughs> we'll give them a planet. <laughs> it's just right, right. Like the casualness with yeah. which these sort of monumental things that are happening is, is, a, is <laughs> I, was, I was very amused by that. So as as far as as far as the episode though, and you you comparing uh, you know next generation with uh, lower decks though, how do you think that the sh- the episode here holds up now? How does it hold up? I think it holds up well. I think it holds up yeah. well. I think uh, I think it's always fun to go back and watch a TV show in the old letterbox format. You know, as opposed right. to widescreen, you know, so you get the bars on, on the left and the right because it's got that 4-3 ratio instead of the whatever the widescreen is. 16-9, I 69, think. 16-9, yeah. And uh, so I think that, I, I felt that was fun. But as far as an example of Star Trek, as far as an hour of television, the thing that, that, that I, in terms of how it held up, the thing that I 
thought of was, again, I go back to that idea of all the pieces are in place, but they don't quite know right, how yeah. to use them all. Because this is very much, it's, it's a card, Data, Wesley, and guest star episode. Like it's those four. Those four are the characters. Right. Everybody else is just sort of in the background, aside from the hilarious Doctor Crusher mother stuff, which yes, was yeah. which we hadn't, <laughs> haven't talked about at all. Where 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 Beverly is is really concerned. Like, is my son too much of a nerd and not living a normal life? Does he have a social life? Does he is he interested in the girls? Uh, does he have dates? Does yeah. he? You know, is he I don't too like much, her. <laughs> is he too much into his studies? You know, um, yeah, and that that little stinger with Guinan at the end of yes, one wonderful yeah. parenting moment. This show is is such an ensemble show, and it's one of the one of the challenges I think with when they bring these kind of shows to the movies is providing seven major. There are seven major characters, you know, bridge crew, staff, or whatever of the Enterprise. To, uh, to this, there are seven major characters, and so providing all of those characters with some way to develop or grow or everything, uh, that was that's a lot of the challenge uh, that they had when writing the movies. In a TV show, you can have episodes where it's like, okay, this episode's going to be about this character, and then the next episode's going to be about that character, mm, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I, I think it holds up incredibly well in, for what At, it is. For an enjoyable story. Yes. For for is. an independent episode, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely, it does, and uh, and uh, and I I really enjoyed watching it. Again. Yeah, and and I was reading that uh, that that Gene Roddenberry and the writers actually had uh, butted heads over this episode while it was being written, um, and I if I remember right, it had to deal more with the the uh, Gene Roddenberry wanting to push that plot along and the character growth and everything like that and just kind of you know move the story as quickly as possible but the writers also wanted to be able to take the time to tell the story of of these uh creatures and the the, the characters are telling that story rather than just pushing the plot along as quickly as possible yeah that's so. interesting because there was uh i did feel like they uh, I one critique I had was they they went back to the Wesley Doctor Stubbs talks. Um, I felt like maybe one more time than I wanted, where it yeah. was like the two of them standing in the cargo bay, looking at the egg, and then talking to each other. Uh, although I did yeah. I did really enjoy you know because there was the scene where he's like uh, Wesley, your potential is going to be the your greatest enemy. You know, fulfilling your potential and yeah, right. being a prodigy and all that. You know, some of that I I I was good with one of those, but I think there were at least two or three of those yeah, conversations where the two of them, kind you know, of overdid it, kicked that horse a little a, bit, you a know, a little yeah. bit, a little bit, a yeah. Little bit. And and just just one final note uh, about this episode that I wanted to make sure that we pointed out: um, no consequences for Wesley. He almost destroys the ship because he fell asleep and broke containment protocol <laughs> on Nanite. And there are no consequences. No, like, you know, uh, yeah, give us that Ensign episode. Uh, the, give us that, that Ensign uniform back, son. You don't deserve it anymore. He, nothing. He was nothing. Con- he was restricted from the holodeck for a week. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, big deal. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. 
So, so Jer, yes. where? What's your uh, what's your uh, origin with Star Trek? What, so, what you got for us? Yeah. So, I did not. I did not watch uh, the Next Generation live like you did with your dad, uh, broadcast wise. Star Trek was always a syndicated show, uh, as I recall. At least the Next Generation was. Uh, you know, the the original series was uh, was on CBS mm-hmm. uh, and broadcast on CBS, but the Next Generation was a syndicated show, so it would it would air on different. Uh, channels in different parts of the country at different times and once it sold a certain number of episodes then it would then like all syndicated shows it could be sold to yet more stations to be shown at whatever kind of frequency it wanted Mm. and I came across I discovered Star Trek The Next Generation which I'm almost certain was my first real experience of Star Trek um, in high school and specifically, uh, I went to high school in 1988 to 1992 was when I went to high school. And I have to remind, the reason I bring that up is because I have to remind that it was a different time back right. in, the, in the late 80s and early 90s when it came to schools. Because, you know, nowadays we're creating, you know, locked down fortresses, hardened uh, against the potential of active shooters and stuff like there was none of that uh when when we were in school and <laughs> they had concrete under playground equipment you know right. don't that's kill right. yourself that's right you know? that's right and so when i was in high school i when i was in high school my family was literally a tri-state family and i promise this comes back around to star trek i'll get there as fast as i can uh, but uh we were literally a tri-state family we lived and my father worked in Southern New Jersey, uh, down where the Garden State earns its name. It's not just a suburb of New York City, but it is actual, like, where there's farms and places. In Southern New Jersey, my father worked there. My uh, Myself, and then after me, my sister, went to high school at a Catholic high school, private Catholic high school, across the Delaware Bridge of the Delaware River in Delaware State, uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. And then my mother worked in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So if uh, so, we were literally a tri-state family where every day there were members of the family in three different states. And the way that would work is my mother would drive me to, to school, drop me off there. Then she would drive, uh, that would be about a half an hour drive. Then she would drive the almost uh, pretty much an hour to an hour and a half, depending on rush hour, to uh, Philly where she would work. And then when her workday was done, about five, she would then reverse that and drive the hour and a half to Wilmington, pick me up at like between, sometime between six and seven, depending on how traffic went, and then uh, drive us home to New Jersey. As such, uh, as you could, uh, there was also nothing called aftercare or, uh, or, or anywhere to go for school. And so on days that I did not have extracurricular practices, I was, in addition to being a sci-fi fantasy nerd, I was also a band geek. And so I was in all the, all the different bands. And so I would often have band practices until, you know, until shortly before my mom would pick us up. But on the days where I did not, I just hung out in the school building. 
And nobody bothered me about that. And so I would just, our, our, my high school was two stories, it was a very large building, uh, two stories. And so I would go upstairs to the second floor, find an empty classroom, and turn on cable TV. Because at the time, the classrooms all had cable TV that actually showed, you know, that was, that was connected to live cable TV. And I discovered pretty quickly that hanging out in those classrooms, that at uh, 4 p.m. every weekday, on one of those syndicated channels, like channel 57 out of Philadelphia or something like that. I don't remember the actual number, but one of those high numbers, not the, not the broadcast stations, not the big three, but one of those syndicated, you know, more local channels, they would show Star Trek The Next Generation uh, from four to five, and I got obsessed. Uh, so every day I would run to a classroom, I would do as much homework as I could, as fast as I could, so that I could turn on the TV at four and watch Star Trek The Next Generation in daily syndication. So that I got to watch episode after episode uh, for those couple of years until I finally got caught up. And then could I, and then I actually did downshift, so to speak, into uh, appointment viewing um, near the end of the run of Star Trek. And then especially when it's spinoff series, when, it's, when the next Star Trek shows... Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager came out, uh, then those I all I watched appointment viewing wise, just like you did with your dad. And so uh and so it was it was there in those high school classrooms that I that I discovered Star Trek and my love of Star Trek. And I think that uh for me, much of my uh much of my love of uh Star Trek came from the connectedness I felt to, I think, not only the vision of Star Trek, that hope for, a, for a, a kind of utopian future in which all humans have overcome their differences and, and, uh, and work toward a common good and strive to improve themselves, not for, uh, not for any kind of cynical motive, like for money or for power, but just to improve ourselves, as well as then go explore the stars just for exploration's sake and for expansion and for making more friends, basically. But also, a lot, so many of the themes of Star Trek had to do with uh, alienation, had to do with being unique, had to do with finding a place where you feel like you fit in, you know, Data's desire to be a human, uh, Wesley's, des you know, Wesley being a prodigy, who never fit in uh, to Picard being so sort of aloof and standoffish uh, until he finally recognized by the end of the series that that his crew is his family and he you know and he should let them in and he should enjoy them more and not be the sort of like I have to keep myself apart because I'm captain. All of those themes around um, community and family and and. and finding your place, finding out who you are. Those things really resonated deeply with me. And that began my love of Star Trek. That's, <laughs> that's a, an incredible story, actually. <laughs> that's, that, is, that is not, a, I don't think that's a, a, a very common story. A 
I found this, uh, I was going through stuff, and I found this, uh, which Star Trek The Next Generation character are you quiz. Oh, oh, okay, all right. No, Jared, are we going to make any predictions as far as what, what character you think? Uh, no. No? No? no. I will okay. not. You, feel free. Okay. If you would like to predict what you think I will be, uh, that could be fun. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. I am supportive of that. Okay, um... Yeah. I'm... <laughs> okay. I'm not going right. to say it. I'm not going right. to say it yet. Interesting. Okay. okay. All right. How would your friends best describe you? Dedicated, dignified, loving and nurturing, analytical, carefree, curious, easily angered, or sensitive? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of options. That is. Um... Oh, wait, let me guess. There are seven options for every question. <laughs> um, Maybe. <laughs> all right, read them again. Tell me again. Dedicated, dignified, loving and nurturing, analytical, carefree, curious, easily angered, and sensitive. Oh, all right. So this is hard because I'm, I'm trying not to jump ahead. And recognize that if I say easily angered, that's going to be a point for Worf. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so this is if how would my friends and family yes. describe me? I I'm going to go with dedicated. Dedicated. Yeah, dedicated. Okay. Which drink sounds more appealing? <laughs> Anything without alcohol, mom would kill me. <laughs> Hot tea, preferably Earl Grey. Anything with alcohol. Prune juice, yum. <laughs> I don't care as, uh, really as long as it's good. I do not need liquid supplements. <laughs> a warm glass of milk or a Sumerian sunset. Oh, ooh. a warm glass of milk. Does it mean one of the characters you could be is Spot the Cat? Um, anyway, <laughs> Maybe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say anything as long as it's good. Okay. That would be my answer. What do you like to do for fun? The arts, violin painting, you name it. Relax with a good book. Dating. Do experiments. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> I like to take care of my plants. Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> Adjust the warp coil. It could always be improved. Or fight to the death on the holodeck to battle. <laughs> Oh, man, this is not a subtle quiz. No, it's not. <laughs> That's why I loved it. Uh, I'm going to... All right. Um, <laughs> all right, there was one... I, I'm very tempted by chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Um, <laughs> that would lend toward your prediction. But uh, what, uh, there was another one right before... Read me the ones before chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Take care of my plants. Nope. Do experiments. What could go nope, wrong? Nope. Dating. Nope. Relax with a nice book or the arts? Uh, I'm going to say... This is hard. I'm going to say relax with a good book. Okay. What type of music best suits you? Jazz? I will try many varieties, but I prefer opera and classical. Anything romantic? Whatever's current in the 24th century. <laughs> Something calm and soothing. Classical. The hum of the ship and the warp coils is enough for me. 
I don't have time for music. Oh, oh. No Klingon opera, huh? All right. Um, I'm going to go with, you know, I, I love music, but I'm not a particular fan of anything. As I've gotten older, I've started listening to more classical music. So, uh, no, I'm going to go with whatever's current in the 24th century. All right. Your ship is under attack by the Borg. Your captain has been taken hostage. They've started boarding the ship. You're barely hanging on. What do you do next? You have been converted. It is too late. You'll have to hope that your crew manages to rescue you. (laughs) Okay. You try to reassure others and keep their spirits up. (laughs) <laughs> you hack into the Borg Collective and try to reprogram them. You target the Borg ship with pro- photon torpedoes and hope that they'll make an impact. If you die in battle, so be it. It is honorable. You try to keep the ship from blowing up and try to maintain shield integrity. Hopefully you can keep more of them from beaming on board. You hold down the fort in sickbay and try to take care of the wounded as best you can. Since the captain is gone... You take charge and direct everyone to their stations. Or you assist your senior officers as best you can and offer them assistance when necessary. Ooh. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a... Oh, boy. Um, no pressure. I'm an egomaniac, so I'm going to say I, uh, I take command and tell everybody to go to the station. It was the second okay. to last one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I put in there that you've already been converted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which technological innovation do you like the most? You said which one do I prefer, not would be more realistic. Right. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> which technological innovation do you like the most? Photon torpedoes. Explosions. Replicators. Love me some chocolate. <laughs> Communicators. It's an easy way to reach everyone on the away team. A tricorder. The warp core and the ability to travel at the speed of light. Anything and everything. I love science and engineering. I am a technological innovation. (laughs) 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 Or the holodeck. I love 1940 San Francisco. Oh, see. Oh, man. See, the replicator had me until you said the holodeck. Right. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the holodeck. All right. We're almost done here. Which vacation looks the most appealing? A European castle, a beach at sunset, alien paradise, botanical gardens, a spa resort, a Victorian library, (laughs) Starfleet in San Francisco, or exploring ancient ruins? Uh, I'm going to go with an alien paradise. Okay. Someone's pushing your buttons, you're starting to get angry. How do you react? A pretty chill may get slightly annoyed. I have no emotions. They're not a part of my programming. (laughs) I can emulate it if you want, however. (laughs) Diplomatic at first, but when that fails, it's time to throw down. Come at me, brah! (laughs) Someone's attacking my honor. Time to battle! Only gets angry when it's personal or threatens the crew. You keep a level head until lives are threatened or something that is not morally right. Then that Scottish temper leaves no survivors. (laughs) Let's the anger wash over you, 
you might lose control, uh, lose your temper, but when the situation demands it, once or twice. Or you're generally a pretty mellow person. Don't let it affect your dude. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go with the one that said like you don't get mad unless it's uh like life that threatens the life of the crew or if it's personal. Okay. All right. What is your greatest fear? Having your mind controlled, heights, or loss of loved ones? You don't have any fears. <laughs> the fear of going insane. Fear of having to rely on others. Being alone. Having to make a life or death decision. Or the Borg. <laughs> or the Borg. Okay. <laughs> uh, was there one about being alone? What was the loved ones one? Uh, heights or loss of loved ones. There's also being alone. So heights is put together with loss of loved ones. I know, ones. it confused me too. <laughs> um, I don't like that one. Uh, um, uh, the Borg. The Borg. Fair enough. Finally, which outfit looks best? And it says looks best, but I'm going to say it looks best on you. <laughs> <laughs> so we have... Guidance. <laughs> uh oh, I broke Jeremy. <laughs> Troy's dress, Worf's battle sash, a vineyard hands outfit, Starfleet Academy jumpsuit, an officer's jacket, loungewear, sundress or casual, or a dressage outfit. <laughs> I'm definitely going to go with loungewear. Oh, okay. Give me let's a just say, let's just say I have a face and body for radio. <laughs> and the results? Calculating results. Ooh, I'm excited calculating my results. I was wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. Dr. Beverly Crusher! Oh! oh! The one... Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Because she is the one parent... The one, the yes. one parent on yes. Next Generation. Uh, well, until Worf gets that son. That was, son yes, it was son? his son. Um, yeah. What was his, his name? name? Yeah, I know, right? We'll have Anyhow. To look it up. Where we must spin our wheels and then say goodbye. Jared, do you have our wheels prepared? Yes, of course. I okay. will prepare the... Wheel of Wheel Random, Random Episode Selection. Now, our next episode is going to be about the Back to the Future franchise. So, we are going to spin the wheel, and on the wheel we have placed Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2, and Back to the Future 3. And let's see which one we are going to discuss specifically. Yay, wheel! Back to the Future, part one. Woohoo! The original, the first. Back to the Future, part one, will be what we discuss next week on Two Guys and a Franchise. Thanks so much, everybody. We love you. Jerry, play us out! If you would like to talk to Two Guys and a Franchise, 
Send us a message by email at feedback at twoguysinafranchise.com or send a message through comment or message box on our website, twoguysandafranchise.com. That's all spelled out. T-W-O-G-U-Y-S-A-N-D-A. Franchise, all spelled out, all together, <laughs> dot com. We hope you have a wonderfully nerdy week.